Hello and welcome to the Bonus Action Podcast, the show that explores 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons one rule at a time in short 15-minute episodes. I'm your host, Sam Dillon, and I'm here with my favorite game aficionado, generous blogger, and respected D&D expert, James Intercasso. Hey, Sam, how are you, man? I'm excited to be here explaining D&D 5th edition rules. Me too. Hey, did I pronounce your name right this time? You did. You oh, did. awesome. That was my goal. <laughs> Episode over. No problem. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, before we get to tonight's topic, we want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store with an online presence that specializes in providing out-of-print RPG products. Any edition of any game that you want, they'll have. They also have tons of other tabletop gaming supplies, and they buy old products that you aren't using anymore. Noble Knight Games, where out-of-print is available again. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that and more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight, cause they got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb and head over to noblenight.com. And don't forget to tell them the Tone Show sent you. In this episode, we're discussing the rules for movement and travel in Dungeons & Dragons. You can find an explanation of this rule in the player's basic rules D&D PDF on pages 63 and 64, or in the player's handbook on pages 181 and 182. Okay, so let's talk about movement and travel. The first thing you need to know is that every character has a speed. Your speed is the distance that you can walk in one round. The speed of your character is based on race, so dwarves, halflings, and gnomes have a walking speed of 25 feet, while elves, humans, dragonborn, half-elves, half-orcs, and tieflings have a walking speed of 30 feet. So those are walking speeds, but what if you want to perform a different type of movement, right? The dash is an action that you can take during a combat round that basically amounts to taking an extra movement, effectively doubling your walking speed at the cost of losing the chance to attack, cast a spell, hide, dodge, or help out a fellow PC. That's still really just walking, though. What if you want to do something else, right? Like climb or swim or crawl. Those are three special types of movement your PC can attempt during a game. When you use these special movements, each foot moved costs an extra foot. So moving one foot costs two actual feet. For example, let's say your speed is 30 feet. That means you can walk 30 feet in one round. But if you are climbing, you can only climb 15 feet in one round because every foot you climb costs two feet of movement. The same goes for swimming and crawling. They're just slower than walking. Also, keep in mind that when you attempt a special type of movement, your DM might call for an attribute or skill check. A strength athletics check would be the most common when attempting this type of move, but the type of check is at the discretion of the DM. Jumping is also a special type of movement, and there are two types of jump. Horizontal movement, otherwise known as a long jump, and vertical movement. Well, we usually call that a high jump. Your strength attribute score is actually used to determine how far you can jump. If you make a long jump from a stationary position, 
that means you're not walking beforehand. You're just standing still, and then you're going to jump. You can jump as far as your strength score divided by 2. So if your strength is 10, you can jump 5 feet. That is, you can jump a distance equal to half your strength in feet. However, if you take a running start and you move at least 10 feet before you even attempt the jump, then you can jump a number of feet up to your strength score, effectively doubling the distance that you've jumped just by walking 10 feet first. If you want to perform a high jump, though, the maximum distance is determined in a slightly different way. If you take a running start to make a vertical leap, you can jump as high as 3 plus your strength modifier, not your strength score. But that doesn't seem like a very high jump, right? 3 plus maybe your modifier is 1, 4 feet. Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be heroic. But remember, you can reach your arms up above your head a distance that's equal to half your height. Plus, you add your actual height to it. So your total high jump distance is equal to 3 plus your strength modifier plus your height plus half your height if you're raising your arms above your head. So, for example, a 6-foot tall human with a strength score of 16 can jump 3, the standard base number, plus 3, their strength modifier, plus 6, their height, plus 3, half their height or the length of their arms. That's a total of 15 feet. That person can effectively reach the ledge of a 10-foot pit and possibly even haul themselves up without any help. That's pretty heroic. On the other hand, a 3-foot-tall halfling with a strength of 10 will only be able to jump 3, that's the standard base, plus 0, that's their strength modifier, plus 3, their own height, plus 1.5, half their height. That's only 7.5 feet, so you might want to throw a rope down and give them a bit of help getting out of that pit. <laughs> Either way that you want to jump, every foot that you jump counts against your speed when determining how far you can move during your entire turn. During combat, you can combine types of movement during your turn as long as you don't exceed your speed. As soon as you reach your maximum speed, you have to stop moving. Not only can you combine different types of movement, you can break up your movement and perform other types of actions in between bouts of movement. For example, if your speed is 25 feet and you have a strength of at least 10, you can walk 10 feet, open a door, jump across a 10-foot puddle, attack an opponent, and then move five more feet, though that might provoke an attack of opportunity as you move away from the opponent. That's also assuming there is no difficult terrain in the area. Difficult terrain is common in many different adventuring locales. Rubble, broken furniture, undergrowth, and loose gravel are all examples of difficult terrain. When moving through difficult terrain, every foot of movement costs you an extra foot. This will affect your total movement, especially if you are combining different types of movement. For example, since difficult terrain costs an extra foot of movement, and crawling across that difficult terrain would also cost an extra foot of movement, you spend three feet of movement to crawl through one foot of difficult terrain. It's also possible to have different speeds. That is, speeds other than a walking speed. This is most commonly seen in creatures found in the Monster Manual. For example, if a creature moves by digging through the earth, it's going to have a burrowing speed. Uh, if it can fly through the air, it's going to have a fly speed. If it, it naturally lives in the water, it has a natural swimming ability, it's going to have a swim speed. Different speeds can be combined as long as the total movement does not exceed the maximum speed of any given type for that creature. 
for example, if a creature has a walk speed of 40 and a fly speed of 50, the creature could walk 10 feet and then take off and fly 20 feet and then land and walk 10 more feet and then fly a final 10 feet. That sounds very fuzzy. When determining this, what you do is subtract the distance you've already moved from the speed of the type of movement you're about to perform. This is mostly seen on monsters. So why are we discussing it? Well, because sometimes PCs also gain the ability to perform movements with different speeds. So for example, if a wizard casts a fly spell on your PC, you automatically gain a fly speed of 60 feet for the duration of the spell. You can combine those different speeds during your turn. So for example, if your original walk speed was 25 and your fly speed is 60, you might walk 5 feet, fly 10 feet, walk 10 feet, and then fly the remaining 35 feet. You can't walk again because your total movement has already exceeded the maximum walk speed for your PC. In the second walking bout in that example, you could only walk 10 feet because walking more than 10 feet would have made your total movement of any type exceed your total walk speed of 25. This sounds very convoluted, but just remember that when you switch to a new type of movement, you subtract the distance you have already moved, no matter what sort of movement it was, from the new speed. That will tell you the number of feet you can move using that speed. If the answer is zero, you must either stop moving or choose a different speed, that is, a different movement type, to use to continue actually moving. In the above example, that's why the PC could fly another 35 feet, even though they couldn't walk any further. So far, we've been talking about movement in the small scale. That is, movement during one round of six seconds. But what if you're exploring the wilderness, or tromping through a forest, ambling down a road in between towns, or exploring an ancient tomb? Any number of non-combat actions, interactions, and events could arise during the game. In those situations, your dungeon master will decide what timescale to use for that portion of the game. The DM might decide to measure your movement and actions in minutes. This is helpful if you're doing something painstaking, like picking locks, or searching for secret doors, or cautiously creeping down a stone stairway, or looking through the guard captain's desk drawer. In a city, or in the wilderness, your DM might decide, however, to measure your time and movement on the scale of hours. If your group has been told that it's a three-hour ride to the next village, it kind of makes sense to track that travel in hours rather than one-minute or fifteen-minute increments. If you're making a very long journey, your DM may even decide to measure time in days. This might be helpful if you're making a 10-day trip, or if you've just finished a long quest and your group needs a few days to recuperate, but you aren't really in your home territory, so you're hidden away in a cave convalescing for a few days. Your DM might do some wandering monster checks every few hours, or every half a day, or every day. It's up to the DM's discretion, of course. But... In that case, tracking time in one hour or one minute increments would seem excruciating. You know, speaking of travel, you might be wondering how your speed relates to traveling long distances. After all, a six-second round in which you move 30 feet seems vastly different from a three-hour wagon ride. And it's important to note that your personal walking speed, or any other type of speed, doesn't actually relate to your overland speed. When you're traveling over land, your group has a choice of pace. That is, you can move at a fast pace, a slow pace, or a normal pace. 
The travel table on page 182 of the player's handbook gives some insight on how far the group can go. For example, traveling at a normal pace, this table tells us that the group can travel three miles per hour. Since the table assumes that a group will be traveling for eight hours, this means that the group will travel up to 24 miles that day. Anything beyond that amount of travel, and the party might be subject to exhaustion. For every hour beyond eight, the PCs will have to make a constitution saving throw with a DC of 10 plus one for each hour of travel over eight. A failed save imposes one level of exhaustion on the PC. Check out page 291 in the player's handbook for the full exhaustion condition rules. It is possible, and perhaps preferable, for the party to ride on mounts, most commonly a horse, or in a vehicle like a wagon, for short spans of time, basically up to an hour, uh, but really that's at the discretion of the DM, an animal mount can travel much faster than a humanoid can walk. A mounted character can gallop at two times the fast pace, and thus travel two times the fast pace distance. So, looking at the table, I see that fast pace is 4 miles per hour, which means that if you're riding a mount, you can travel up to 8 miles in that same hour. Keep in mind that the health of the animal may suffer. The consequences of that are, as so many other things, up to the DM. Also, don't forget that difficult terrain, like dense forests or rocky hillsides with lots of thickets, will likely lower your travel distance even on a mount. Note that the previously mentioned forms of movement are based on living creatures. A ship or magical means of locomotion may not adhere to the distance limits shown in the travel pace table. Page 157 of the player's handbook contains the speeds of mounts and waterborne vessels. Animal mounts have speeds in feet just like humanoids, but ships have speeds listed in miles per hour. Provided the right circumstances and a full crew, it is possible for a ship to travel 24 hours a day, and therefore the distance limits on the travel pace table do not apply. Also note that the Dungeon Master's Guide has some guidelines for your DM that can help determine the pace and distance traveled by a party traveling on, say, a flying carpet, or in a gnomish contraption, or any other form of non-living conveyance, uh, or anything having to do with magic. That, however, is a topic for another episode. If you're really curious about it, you can find all of that information on page 242 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. We hope you enjoyed this movement and travel discussion. If you like the show, I encourage you to visit thetomeshow.com and use our affiliate links for Amazon.com, dndclassics.com, and noblenight.com to support the show while you shop. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does throw a few copper pieces into the Tome Show's belt pouch, allowing us to stay on the air. I'd like to send a special shout-out to Tome Show listener Calvin Baker. Thanks for listening, Calvin, and for giving us a plus one on Google. We appreciate your support. If any other listeners out there have suggestions, corrections, or comments, please feel free to leave a comment at thetomeshow.com or email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can also call the Tome Show's world-famous biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. The music used in this episode was composed by Eric Michaels. Sam, where can listeners find you? You can find me at RPG Musings, you can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel, or you can find me at the Play on Target podcast. Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash James or follow my blog at worldbuilderblog.me.